We believe the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is a restoration of the original Church established by Jesus Christ, which was built upon the foundation of apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. We declare to the world that the fullness of the gospel has been restored to the earth. We declare with boldness that the keys of the priesthood have been restored to man. We declare to the world that this is the day referred to by biblical prophets as the latter days. It is the final time before the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ to rule and reign on the earth. Um, I figured we would combine these two lessons together just because uh, they go together. I feel like a lot of ways they complement each other. The, the official declarations have a lot to do with our social interactions as people. The, the articles of faith are obviously bite-sized explanations of what we believe. And then the family proclamation, I think, really bolsters both of those pretty well. Um, and so it just made kind of sense to say, why don't we combine these? I had some questions and it's funny because I have answers to some of these, but I think they're going to be helpful to kind of help us move through it. So first of all, I think, you know, the Articles of Faith, there's 13 of them. I remember in primary, we started memorizing them and in seminary, we memorized them and stuff. And then after that, it's kind of like no one really talks about them much anymore until we have a lesson about them. And in my mind, it's like this is a really good opportunity to share with people exactly what we stand for, exactly what we mean and when we when we say what we believe. I mean, and you can kind of see where people will start to diverge from what we believe and what they believe, because you can say, OK, we believe in God, the eternal father and his son, Jesus Christ and the Holy Ghost. Someone could say, yeah, I, I believe that. You know, or they could say, well, I believe they're all one thing, or I believe that God is just a, a disembodied spirit or something. Um, but it just kind of helps you understand, like, this is where we stand on the majority of these basic foundational principles of the gospel. Um, I just, I, I don't know if there's a way to talk about them more or a way to, like, have them more, have them more kind of readily available for people to understand this is what we're about. I thought it was interesting. You know, we all know that uh, the Wentworth letters, which was um, uh, Prophet Joseph Smith, he was replying to, uh, I believe he was a, a journalist that wanted to know about the church. And it says in 1842, the Prophet Joseph Smith penned 13 statements known later as the Articles of Faith. So at the time, they weren't titled the Articles right. of Faith, you know. Um, as the conclusion of the Wentworth letter, in which he proposed to provide a brief summary of the rise, progression, and persecution in faith of the Latter-day Saints from 1842 to 1857. The, the Articles of Faith were published numerous times in the United States and throughout the world as a concise statement of the fundamental beliefs of the Latter-day Saints, which I think it's interesting because it seems like it was kind of the standard, what do, what do the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints members believe, well, here are the articles of faith, you know. And then it says, um, in a publication, Elder Frank 
Jacqueline D. Richards' inclusion of the Articles of Faith in an 1851 booklet called The Pearl of Great Price. And then later in 1880, in General Conference, a revised form of Richards' documents were accepted by the membership of the church as part of the standard works of the church. Thus, the Articles of Faith entered the canon, the canon scriptures. Um, it also says, while the saints were gathered in what would become a historical general conference on October 1890, Orson F. Whitney again presented the Articles of Faith by themselves for a sustaining vote just prior to reading a revelation from President Wilford Woodrow known as the Manifesto to end the church's practice of plural marriage. Perhaps this was to remind the saints of certain core beliefs that would fortify their commitment to follow their current prophet's counsel in being subject to kings, presidents, rulers, and magistrates in obeying and honoring and sustaining the law. I thought that was really interesting because off, it, it sounds like we were often reminded in that the church has always try to follow the articles of faith so. yeah it's, i think it's really important that you know it's like okay we know that this official declaration might be challenging for some people to hear so let's let's just remind everyone this is what we all subscribe to we have all agreed and sustained this document first you know now knowing that going into that official declaration there's going to be a lot harder for people to be like oh they're just they're, who's in actually in charge? Why are they like you? Like we say, you know, flip flopping. Why are we changing this core value of who we are? This thing that we've fought for and protected for so long is suddenly going to change. Uh, it would come across like we don't know what we're doing or we don't have conviction in what we're doing. When really it's like, look, we we subscribe to following the law. And people say, oh, the only reason they got rid of polygamy is because of the politics. Well, that was definitely a factor, right? To say, no, no, it, it was only revelation. No, I think it was a, a revelation that came at a time when the prophet was like, hey, this is getting kind of sticky because we're now focusing more on just upholding polygamy than we are on living the gospel, right? Yep. That has now become the one center of our entire focus. What the whole world knows about us is only that. Even to this day, you talk to people about Mormons, right? And the first thing they think of is polygamy. And I think that part of getting rid of that practice was to say, we don't want the focus of everything we've done in the restoration to simply be polygamy. That's not what we're about. That was one factor in that, I think. Um, but I'm curious, which one of the Articles of Faith is your favorite? Uh, for me, it's got to be, let me look, two, 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 two. Uh, number two. Uh, we believe that men would be punished for their own sins and not for Adam's transgression. Um, because I always, I don't know, it, it, to me, it makes it sound like I am not destined for failure because people before me failed <laughs> or my parents or grandparents, whatever, right? Like that, I, that my agency matters. Uh, I don't know. It, it speaks a lot to my agency, uh, which which I really like uh, there. There's like sometimes these beliefs that certain people or cultures or, or, or so are cast off and they're not. And repeatedly in the scripture, the Lord says those uh, who, who are the favorite people of the Lord, those who keep the commandments, you know, 
right. and and when he came and the israelites uh uh and the jews thought and the pharisees thought oh we're children of moses uh, we're children of abraham and the lord says hey he can make stones uh out of these stones he can bring forth children of abraham so meaning just because you think that you're special uh you're you're not um the promises i made to abraham were all dependent on agency and and obeying the gospel and so i don't know maybe i add way too much to that one article of faith but that's what it speaks to me is is that we have agency and we're not predetermined to have succeeded or failed we get to decide that well and it's something that it's something that historically other faiths have not necessarily proclaimed right there were a lot of philosophies in early christianity uh where it was like actually everyone's kind of predetermined where they're gonna go yeah infant baptism and all that yeah and even some like john calvin saying there are some who are saved and there are some who are damned and it's kind of up to you to figure out which one you are and it's an inevitability right and that idea is great to those in charge and great to those in power because they can say oh i'm definitely one of those that's going to be saved <laughs> so I'm i'm good right and it's terrifying to those who are like looking around going i'm not really in a good spot socially and in in the hierarchy of society i must not be in a good spot for a reason right and i think what it's saying is look both in in you're not going to be punished for the actions of others and you can't claim to benefit wholly from the actions of others either you are a standalone person and yes there are situations where you maybe are in a more advantageous or or um you, you have a position of, of privilege, but that doesn't guarantee anything, right? It's still your actions and your behavior and your adherence to the gospel. That's why I think number three is, is my favorite. I mean, they're all good, but gosh. Number three, we believe that through the atonement of Christ, all mankind may be saved by obedience to the laws and ordinances of the gospel. All mankind, first of all, it's not limited. Who you are, what you look like, where you come from, your background, your whatever, has no impact on your ability to be saved by the atonement. And then the second part of that is by obedience to the laws, by obedience to the laws and ordinances of the gospel. Essentially, yes, the atonement brings in grace, but also there are works to be done. You have to adhere to the laws and ordinances of the gospel in order to be saved. And that's a, a very important principle that I think gets missed a lot. So here's kind of a, a weird question. Is there anything that you think would be added or clarified today if those were written today or if they were like, we're going to open this up and add a 14th article of faith? Um, I would think maybe article of faith number 10. Well, where it says we believe in the literal gathering of Israel and then the restoration of the 10 tribes as Zion, the new Jerusalem will be built upon the American continent and that Christ will be reigned personally upon the earth. Uh, one is um there are few people that understand what gathering of israel means the restoration of the 10 tribes i think not that it would be changed but it might be explained differently maybe um because because those statements really speak to people who have a christian background of knowledge mm -hmm. and a lot of the converts of the church now are becoming individuals who have not had a christian background of beliefs you know i, I don't know i i just noticed that preach one thing preach my gospel did is that it changed terminologies to be 
uh, more based on the principles and not so much on uh, to be more inclusive of people understanding that don't have a Christian background uh, of beliefs. And, and, you know, it could be people that come from other religions like Buddhism and, 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 and Hindu and, and uh, you know, that aren't Christian based. But sometimes to declare this, you have to have a knowledge. Of, yeah, I, I don't know. It's it just there. But I but I think what the essence of that is trying to say is, is that God is going to gather all his disciples from all the corners of the earth, you know, right. and, and bring them to the knowledge of, of the restoration of the gospel. Along those lines, like when I was talking about Zion, the new Jerusalem, like once again, that's stuff that Christians, people from the Judeo-Christian tradition would understand what it's kind of referring to. Many other people would be like, what is that? Also, there was kind of a view at the time that that they were in the process of building that Zion at that moment um, when, when this was written. And since then, we've kind of said, OK, well, Zion is not a geographic location right now. Zion right now is. You know, the pure in heart, it, we look at it more as a, as a concept of who you are and how you act and what you contribute to society. The New Jerusalem obviously is return. It's referring to the second coming. It's referring to the, that gathering in, in the second coming. But I think it would probably explain that a little bit more to make it seem like we're not saying that everyone has to come to America, right? Right. Is and this is kind of jumping ahead a little bit, but is the family proclamation kind of like a really long 14th article of faith? Uh, yeah. I I've never thought of it that way, but I would say yes. <laughs> I think all the proclamations, you know, the latest one, the the restoration of the gospel one, but the the particularly the family proclamation, because I I take it as scripture, I take it as canon, you know, but I think, yeah, yes, yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think what it's like a really well described and well explained article of faith it's like when you read the articles of faith i think uh well you know the first one's pretty self-explanatory you might say well is it though god the eternal father in his son jesus christ and in the holy ghost but then you can get into who is the holy ghost and what is he like um how does that relationship between the father and son interact when in the bible it says they're one you know even christ himself says i'm in the father and the father is in me Right. You can get into needing to explain more in depth about every single one of the articles of faith. It's merely meant to be like a snapshot. And I think the, the family proclamation is kind of like a 14th article that they they blew up into. Let's give you the whole explanation as to why. Yeah, this is how we see the family and this is why we see it that way. I, I think there's this is interesting to me is. Elder James E. Talmadge, he wrote about the articles of faith, not the proclamation of the articles of faith says, um, he suggests them as a convenient outline to study the theology of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And then says, there may be many ways to approach and utilize the articles of faith. I will outline, you know, and then he creates an outline and then he says, um, learn to study and use the article of faith in a way that can empower you to teach and testify of the truth of the gospel with greater con Con concision and clarity both within a household of faith and a broader area of discourse then with the proclamation of the family just at, at the beginning president 
Kevin Hitchcock says, I believe our attitude towards the use of the of the family proclamation is a test for this generation. I pray for the Latter-day Saints to stand firm in that test. So for me, I thought it was interesting how the article of so faith there and there's many talks on the articles of faith, you know, many, many, many talks. Um, we're being told use it as a pattern of study, use it as a pattern to share the gospel, you know, to deepen your knowledge. And then with the proclamation of the family, it's not, I would say the same applies. Use it as a pattern of study, use it as an opportunity to share the gospel. But I, I like this added that our attitude towards it. And it's not, he's not speaking to people who've never seen this or non-members. He's speaking to members themselves. Our attitude towards the proclamation of the family is 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 kind of a test. And imagine if <laughs> imagine if um, Moses, before he he raised up, you know, the golden the uh, the brass serpent and had the fiery serpents come, if he would have taken ten minutes to say, "Hey, everybody, there's going to be a test in ten minutes about your faith." Okay, <laughs> please prepare. You know, uh, and then it happens. It, but you see this, like in our day, you know, they're telling us kind of the same thing. This is going to be a test. And that's not to say that it isn't meaningful, that it's that it's fake, that it's just, oh, we're just it's just a test. So, you know, this is a real thing. But our attitude towards the, the proclamation of family is a test. I, I really like the proclamation of the family. I think it just I don't know. I, I think it's it's um, to me, it's evidence that we have modern scriptural revelation, just like we have. Just like when we read like the book of Isaiah or the New Testament and you think, oh, I wish I had a, we had a prophet nowadays and they would write down for us, you know, and I'm like, this is exactly that. They have written this for us specifically. Um, you know, it's not a historical document. It's right now. This is for right now. So I think part of the challenge that, that people have with family proclamation is that um maybe for whatever reason, their lives have not aligned with the standard that it outlines there, right? Either they've struggled to find a, a partner to marry, um, they haven't found a spouse, and they're like, here I am, I'm getting I'm getting older, and I, I haven't completed that, that task, you know? <laughs> I haven't found my person yet, and so I'm not, am I, what am I doing wrong? Right? How am I not matching the ideal that it outlines there? And I'm trying to do everything I can to be a worthy member, but it always is a reminder that I'm falling short there. I think also um, people who have, for whatever reason, uh, experienced a divorce or something, especially children of a divorce, where they're like, this is the ideal, and they, they hear about it, and they, they hear, you know, this is what everyone should be doing, this is how families should be. And then they look at their own family and they're like, why isn't my family like that? What am I doing wrong? Or why why this isn't fair that this is the standard set and yet that's not my experience. Or even people who experience same-sex same-sex attraction who are like, yeah, I know that's the ideal. That's going to be extremely challenging for me to just go against what all these urges and all of this that I'm feeling and kind of fake my way into this ideal family situation. I mean, that's only three examples. I'm sure there's a lot of other issues that people might experience. And I, I kind of understand where all three of those are coming from, right? Where they look at this and they say, 
that's great and all, and I don't disagree with it, but why, 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 why do I have to feel like I'm failing somehow? Yeah, I, 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 I look, I, I think you're hundred percent right. Cause I think individuals who see that they don't have that ideal family unit or they're in a family unit where it's like, I don't want to be with these people forever. Uh, yeah. They're rude, they're abusive, or, or maybe you yourself don't have love inside you that is not right. <laughs> uh, you know, whatever the case may be. But I think I come to that. I think he says, you're, he doesn't say your ability to have the perfect family unit is the test. No, I think it's your attitude. And I think that part becomes, do you look at the family proclamation as a standard to work towards? You know, kind of like, I, it's just to me, it's just like the gospel. Like the when the Savior says, be ye perfect, be ye complete, and let's work on it. He doesn't expect it to be an overnight process. I think he, having created the curriculum, knows the best method of administering it. And that is, it takes time. And not everyone is going to get the fair shot, not even in this life. And that's why we have a spirit world. That's why we have a millennial. And that's why we have eternities, you know, to work these things out. But I think what he's trying to get at is, where, what is your disposition? Given the opportunity, where are you going to stand? Given the opportunity, where what are you going to do? And if we're cultivating things where I may not be in the ideal family's position, or I might not have the ideal parents, or I might not have the ideal spouse, whatever, what's my attitude? Well, I'm going to work on at least, I think it always begins with self. You right. always can have to begin with yourself. Am I the right person? This person is not honorable or honest. Am I honorable and honest? Okay, and then only then can we influence things out. And that's not to say sometimes there isn't a need to get divorced. There isn't a need to be, get a whole new family unit. And sometimes even your ward or friends can become a family unit, you know. And sometimes we it doesn't work out ideally, but the proclamation of family is not saying that it has to be like that. It, it says many times, you know, where where a husband and wife can do this, do this. Where a husband can't do this, the wife should help. Where a wife can't, then the, where that doesn't happen, then the extended family should help. Where that doesn't, then go to the ward. You know, it lays out the various scenarios. And as we think about that, you know, it, it's very much how our life is. You know, sometimes it, it's funny because I'm reaching a point in one of my kids' lives where what I tell him, them him <laughs> is not... As I could tell him the exact same thing, but having a primary teacher tell him that is way more powerful, you know, <laughs> for some reason, right? And and we've reached those stages in life, and that's why when you leave, if we all think about our experiences as a teenager, how much we thought we knew, <laughs> and then we get our own families and lives, and then we come all the way full circle where we have a huge appreciation for our parents, you know? And it's like, because we had to go and think we knew everything, and now we realize there was something wise about <laughs> their their rules and the way they did things, right? Yeah, I think it, there's a couple of things to take into perspective. And one of those is that we're not just talking about this mortal life. We're also talking about eternity, um, both for these families and for those who maybe haven't been able to experience this, this standard, which, by the way, um, I think you can be in a 
monogamous heterosexual marriage with children and all that and meet that box and still struggle with a lot of aspects of the family proclamation. Um, that doesn't guarantee success, right? Um, or, or that it's going to be easier for you. So ev everyone, I believe, is is in the position that they're going. It, it's a challenge. It's it's a yeah. it's a standard and a goal to strive for for everyone. Um, and I think it's something that you have to remember that it may be after this life that that's achievable. Um, yeah. And when one there's two main things about the proclamation of the family that are controversial or challenging. And one is the, the gender that our gender is eternal that that uh, you know it declares that our genders are eternal but for me i'm not sure if that's speaking to our biological gender or our spiritual gender you know um because it seems like there are individuals who um, might biologically be the wrong gender you know or feel that that is and that is a very difficult challenge that i don't understand you know I'm sure the savior understands. And I just look at other challenges where we have health challenges with our biological bodies. Sometimes individuals have like dyslexia or they have learning disabilities or or they have things that are part of your biological body and they're not part of your spiritual body. You know, they're just kind of like for this life, you are going to have to deal with the fact that um, you have kidneys that don't function correctly or you have a, a poor eyesight or you're blind, you know. And often in the scriptures, we, we tie so much to these physical manifestations to the point where in the New Testament, the Lord was asked, who did sin? Was it this man or his parents that he was born blind? And the Savior says, neither. It was so the Lord, the works of the Lord could be made manifest through him. Um, and part of that could be it's so all of you hypocrites could have someone that you can cast and learn to realize how hypocrites you are <laughs> and, and have to overcome this. Or it's for him to realize that, you know, I, I often feel like when I see people that have family members that have some sort of very different biological challenge, um, it seems like the people around that individual are the ones that tend to learn the most, yeah. that they learned a whole method of different communication, a whole different type of love and affection. And, and it's, and so sometimes we say, who is this person? And so sometimes with these gender um, uh, questions or, or, you know, is this person truly a male or a female or, or something else? Right. Um, sometimes we, could be tempted to say well who did sin this person themselves that they just can't think their way out of this you know or pray their way out or or it's the same thing with um uh people who deal with uh depression or 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 other issues sometimes we we we've been having this bad stigma that well you just need to pray harder well you just need to <laughs> you know and from my friends and people that i've talked to and people in my quorums that have openly talked about this it's like you have no idea it's not like they're doing something wrong and right. sometimes that pain or it, it keeps them from feeling the spirit it keeps them from feeling what's right and it's a way that they have to cope through it and for us that are around individuals like that 
let's just be careful that we're not the ones that say, hey, who did sin here? Was it his parents or are they just spiritually lazy? Are they did they did they do something in the pre-existence to earn this or, or, or things like that? Because I think we can clearly read the New Testament and see what the Lord has to say about that. You know. Yeah, we often look at it as some sort of flaw or mistake in in the biology right when it really it's it's the lord saying these are the the challenges these are the trials this individual has to experience and those around them right these are experiences that people around them have to experience and these are tapping into greater levels of compassion and greater levels of understanding of other people's experiences not the same as your own um all of that is valuable so we've we've talked a little bit about uh, polygamy in the past with the you know other other topics in other sections um so i don't really feel like we need to go a whole lot into that other than uh, a couple of the things that i found interesting about the official the first official declaration the manifesto in the revelations in context book it says the saints had practiced plural marriage for half a century women and men had anguished over the decision to enter a principle that was alien to their religious upbringings and inclinations they had suffered personal and collective isolation, harassment, and imprisonment for the principle, but they had also accepted plural marriage as God's command to the church. They believed the practice refined their souls and defined their peculiarity in the eyes of the world. What would define them now? President Cannon surely knew that the wholesale changes in self-definition would not easily be made. The anguish of exiting plural marriage would rival the challenge of entering into it. And I thought that was really interesting because a lot of times, we get this because it's such a foreign feeling to us and that we we feel so uncomfortable about polygamy for us it feels like they came out they said okay everybody we're not doing polygamy anymore and everyone was like oh good oh thank goodness you know and i think there was some feeling of that because they were so under pressure from the outside world that this was now a crime people were actively in jail for practicing polygamy at the time like a lot of that was probably a relief. But like I said, at the same time, it was a huge part of our culture and identity as a people. And to just kind of say, we're not doing that anymore. That's not who we are anymore. When well, people had gone through all the trials to begin it over 50 years, it that's a that's a tough ask to just be like, OK, you know, separate yourselves from that practice now. Whew. Yeah. Harder, harder than you think. Right. Well, we always joke around, you know, in our words and with other uh, member friends about um, some change that happens, you know, like, hey, we moved the sacrament meeting to the end of the block as opposed to the beginning. But the church is still true, you know, <laughs> and and we say things like that because they're they're jokes and it's funny. And but it's also indicative of like sentiments when changes occur th that people can tend to think, OK, this is it. I this this means the church is not true anymore you know or, or or things aren't true and there are times when individuals i think we we struggle loving re revelation but also living with revelation because we want we love the idea of revelation but once it's received it's much harder sometimes to accept it uh because we have if if we build our obedience around the social aspect and not the doctrine it can be demoralizing when things happen like a temple gets remodeled 
right? Mm -hmm. Or uh, a sac ceremony gets changed or a block hour gets adjusted or, um, you know, assignment to minister gets gets changed. You know, these little things where, um, well, if if it pushes us out of our comfort zone, sometimes we can be tempted to think it's not true. And as I think what you're saying is as discomfort as the original practice of polygamy was, once everyone found whatever narrative they had to tell themselves to be okay with that discomfort, and now it goes away. Now they have to justify in their minds, like, why does this go away? You know, right. and 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 sometimes the easiest answer is that was what the Lord asked us to do. You yeah, know? but it's not only a, a conceptual thing. It's also like there were families with multiple moms and, you know, dozens of kids. And suddenly it's like, oh, we're not doing that anymore. You know, right. and how do we how do we transition from a society where this is not only acceptable, but promoted to saying, yeah, we're going to we're going to fall in line. And we all agree that this is the right thing to do. The interesting thing is in the in the declaration, like right afterwards, um, in the excerpts from three addresses from uh, by Will, President Wilfrey Woodruff regarding the manifesto, the very first paragraph, the Lord will never permit me or any other man who stands as president of this church to lead you astray. It is not in the program. It is not in the mind of God. If I were to attempt that, the Lord would remove me out of my place. And so he will any other man who attempts to lead the children of ministry from the oracles of God and from their duty. This is quoted a lot, right? Especially when we're asked to do things that are difficult. It's like, well, the prophet can't can't lead us astray or he'll no longer be, be the prophet. But I think that it's it's comforting in knowing that when a revelation comes through, uh, when it's something in general conference, when it's something in uh, just a an announcement given by the prophet. Um, he's doing it be not just because he's like, hey, you know, I don't think the people have heard from me for a while. Right. There's no political motivation here. There's no like, well, I got to make sure I, I get my message out there because the vote's coming up soon. Right. He's not subject to that. He's just relaying information that he's getting from the Lord. And. We know that because when we follow, when we pray about it, we can receive confirmation. And when we follow those revelations, we can see blessings. And I think that that's, that's kind of where the faith comes in. Because I'm not there when he receives the revelation. I don't even necessarily know how that happens. Um, how, how does he receive a direct communication from the Lord? But I have faith that he does. Because in the past, I've followed things that he said. And I've been blessed. Yeah. Right? So one last thing that I bring up, and it's going back to the proclamation of the family. Sorry, unless you want, uh, you have something else real quick. No, you're good. Okay. Um, <clears throat> it was just some quotes I found about uh, what the brethren said during the process of creating the proclamation or, or you know, receiving that revelation. And this is for President Nelson. He says, one day in 1994, the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles spent a day in their council room in the Salt Lake Temple discussing issues surrounding the family. They considered everything from the increasing ubiquitous nature of pornography to potential anti-familial legislation of various kinds. This was not a new discussion, but the day, but that day, the entire agenda revolved around this one vital topic. And he says, the 12 reviewed both doctrine and policy, considering those things that could not be changed, the doctrine. 
and those things that could possibly be the policies. They discussed issues they saw coming, including an intensified social push for gay marriage and transgender rights. But that was not the end of what we saw, Elder Nelson explained. We could see the efforts of various communities to do away with all standards and limitations on sexual activity. We saw the confusion of genders. We could see all, all of these things coming. This extent, extended discussion also along with others over the period of time led to the conclusion that the 12 should prepare a document perhaps even a proclamation outlining the church's stand on the family to present to the first presidency for consideration. And that was from um, Insights into a Prophet's Life, Russell Nemo, also in the book by Sherry Dew. Um, the other one that was interesting was from President Allen in Jokes. Um, he says, uh, as one of the only seven of these apostles still living, I feel obliged to share what led to the family proclamation for the information of those who consider it. The inspiration identifying the need for a proclamation on the family came to the leadership of the church over 23 years ago. It was a surprise to those who thought the doctrinal truths about marriage and family were well understood without re restatement. Nevertheless, we felt the confirmation and we went to work. Subjects were identified and discussed by members of the Quorum of the Twelve for nearly a year. Language was proposed, reviewed, and revised. Perfectly, we continually pleaded with the Lord for his inspiration of what we should say and how we should say it. We all learned line upon line, precept upon precept, as the Lord promised. During this revelatory process, a proposed text was presented for the First Presidency, who oversee the prom and promulgate church teachings and doctrine. After the presidency made further changes, the proclamation of the family was announced by the president of the church, Gordon B. Hinckley. One more. <laughs> Ballard, he says, as a member of the Corman of Apostles, I participated in the drafting and inspired document. It was a remarkable experience for all of us. As we travel the world, we see things both within the church and outside the church. We were troubled by much of what we were seeing. We could see that people of the world wanting to define the family in ways contrary to God's eternal plan for the happiness of his children. Various world conferences were held dealing with either directly or indirectly with the family. Major agenda items were introduced by some delegates that would have greatly weakened the family. Yet through the significant contributions of church leaders, members, and other like-minded people, the language and thus the effects of the propose proposals were softened. In the midst of all that was stirring in the subject, the First Presidency and Quorum of the Twelve Apostles could see the importance of declaring to the world the revealed true role of the family in the eternal plan of God. We work together through the divine inspired council system that operates even at the highest level of the church to craft a proclamation that would make the Lord's position on the family so clear that it could not be misunderstood. I like that because uh, I, I think sometimes we think that these are old, um, outdated principles that we can. Oh, that's that's just how grandparents used to do it. You know, that's <laughs> you know that that's just the way. And you know, the brethren are not out of touch. And I like, especially that they travel the world, and they do travel the world. You know, um, far more than any of us do. And they understand. And and the proclamation isn't like. It also it's it's for everyone. It's for the entire world, you know. And that's why I liked about the last proclamation, which I'm sure they did with this one, with the the restoration of the gospel. 
proclamation is that they they in addition they sent it to all the leaders of of governments and countries and and because it's kind of the lord in a way reaching out and saying hey here's the truth and if you can recognize it you and your people will be blessed so one last thing just just going back to the the second official declaration um about giving uh, blacks the priesthood um i think it's a topic that i've kind of always struggled with and i think it's primarily because i lived my entire life in a post civil rights movement uh, world where none of that was ever even fathomable that you would you know just treat someone differently because of the color of their skin like i grew up knowing that that was not okay and not accepting that kind of behavior and in some ways you know people look at it and say well this is clearly a, a it was clearly a racist thing to say black people can't have the priesthood especially because at one point they did have the priesthood um early on in the church there were many who were baptized that received uh, priesthood ordination and then suddenly it was revoked right not from them but from the ability to to give it to others and to practice exercise the priesthood but i don't know i think some of it has to do with the the times and with once again not wanting to make uh everyone's focus about distracting from the gospel of jesus christ because the same thing with polygamy it's like once polygamy started to become the only thing that people talked about when they were talking about our church, we did away with it. And people say, well, the only reason that the church did away with uh, or started giving blacks the priesthood was because of social pressures. And yeah, probably to some degree that was true. Once again, I think it was the time was right and probably overdue in some ways to start looking into giving them that, that equal opportunity. And it's just one of those things I think I, I will maybe never fully understand why that happened and maybe always struggle to explain it. <laughs> but um, I am very I'm very glad. That that's. Not the case anymore, I'm very glad that they that no one is limited in their um, access to the priesthood other than their own individual worthiness. That there's nothing about you know, who they are or where they come from or what they look like that limits their ability to access. Yeah, I feel very similarly. I've always struggled with that because, you know, it it's, it seems wrong to me and it's hard to make it right. <laughs> um, but I there are things I have to take on faith and belief and there are things I have to wait for more, more information. Yeah. And there are many things in every past of the whole when i look at the church of jesus christ doctrine from the beginning of time from adam and eve till now there are many sections in history that i don't understand that i i i don't understand but what helps me overcome is can i put it to the test now can i put the gospel to the test now and what I do know now is that I know Christ is no respecter of person, that I know that those who keep the commandments are favored of the Lord. I know that in the Book of Mormon, overwhelmingly the message of if you keep the commandments, you'll prosper. And there was this this almost this 
baggage that Lehi and Nephi brought from Jerusalem of what is our inheritance? What can we leave to our kids? And this overwhelming concern. And I wonder how much of that was a cultural thing. I wonder how much of that was growing up in like these tribal nomadic kind of societies where it was might equals right, where Babylon could come and try to invade Jerusalem over and over and over and over and over again, right? <laughs> or or the or you know, the Philistines or the Babylonians, whatever. And they thought for us to go to a better place, maybe originally they thought is a place where there is no tr strife. A place where there is none of this, uh, you know, bondage uh, and destruction of our cities, and and could we be righteous? But what they ended up, I think, in my opinion, is learning is that those issues are always going to trouble the family of humankind as long as we have agency, and agency can create great kingdoms that are righteous, and that same agency can create bad kingdoms that are oppressive and oppress individuals. And in our day, we are kind of, for the most part, outside of those kind of tribal cultural wars. And now we deal more with interpersonal issues. You know, um, how will you treat someone? You know, this guy was giving a spiritual thought and he mentioned about how Mosiah, King Mosiah, he translated the Jaredite record. And right after he translated it, that's when he decided to speak to the people, uh, King Benjamin, I mean, and let them know it's time to do away with kings. And it was interesting because he correlated that being able to study the Jaredite records, although our righteous people that became fallen, gave them enough knowledge to now change the government system, that we need something different. Um, and I wonder how much of that occurs in these changes, that it wasn't so much that the Lord didn't want them to have the priesthood. It was that we weren't prepared to allow them to have the priesthood. Um, and so, and why I say we, I mean those that had the priesthood at the time. Right. And that was just as important as allowing. Imagine creating a social lesser priesthood. Because socially we can't, you know, we would, I think we would be equally offending God. You know, I, I that's how I decide to interpret and take that scenario that it wasn't that the blacks weren't ready to receive the priesthood. I think it was that those that had the priesthood weren't ready to exercise it completely. Let us be awake and not be wary of well-doing, for we are laying the foundation of a great work, even preparing for the return of the Savior. My dear brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ invites us to take the covenant path back home to our heavenly parents and be with those we love. He invites us to come, follow me.